On your Friday episode of Locked On Raptors, we pick up where we left off yesterday with a continued look at the swing skills that will make or break each member of the Toronto Raptors this season. And today, we're talking about the core dudes, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, and Jakob Pertl. One of these guys has a swing skill that might be the single most important swing skill on the entire team this year. We'll get into that and more on today's show. Thanks for hanging. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the free time of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Get that garbage out of here. What's going on and welcome to another episode of Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Friday, September the 22nd, and I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for going on 10 seasons on various platforms. You can find all my work over on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can follow the show at Locked On Raptors on Instagram and Twitter. And we are also on Discord, of course. Come hang out in our beautiful, glorious Discord server. It's the place where all the freaks are hanging out, baby. Lots of Dame Lillard talk as the rumors seem to be heating up around him. The Raptors, of course, tangentially involved there. We've also got plenty of other stuff. We've got a fantasy basketball league we're getting together. We've got movie and baseball and all sorts of talk going on in there. So come hang out. A great little community we got building around the show. And again, I can't express enough. If you're the type of person who is looking for my thoughts during a game on online, this will be the place where my thoughts are going online when the season begins because Twitter sucks. Uh, so get ready for that by joining the Discord now. You can also uh, support the show for free by subscribing, following, rating, reviewing, all that good stuff on your favorite podcast apps and on YouTube. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. You get the little notification that says hey Sean's on and uh, you know and maybe no, no one wants to get that notification but uh, if you do that's the way to get those notifications subscribe and support the show for free it's much appreciated today's show is brought to you by bird dogs go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA or enter the promo code locked in NBA for a free water bottle with any purchase you don't want to take your bird dogs off we promise you okay on today's show, we are digging into swing skills once again. Yesterday, we talked about the youths on the Raptors. Scotty Barnes, Preston Chua, uh, Gary Trent Jr., of course, a little Christian Coloco and Grady Dick talk in there as well. Today, we're talking about the backbone of the team, the core guys, the dudes who make the most money, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, and Jakob Pertl, all of whom are still on the roster as we speak today, and so we'll just operate as though they'll be on the team. And so we're going to dig into the swing skills that will make or break their seasons. We'll get to OG Ananobi and Yaka Pirtle in segments two and three. But we'll start off with Pascal Siakam, who, in my estimation, the swing skill that he brings to the table, you know, he doesn't have to prove anything. We know Pascal Siakam's awesome, but the one swing skill that I'm digging into today just might be the single most important swing skill for any player on the Raptors, and it's because of the way it directly affects the most important player on the Raptors this season, which is, of course, Scotty Barnes, who we talked about at length yesterday, his need to kind of tap into the mid-range once again, get back to where he was or better as a rookie uh, after a really grim season from the mid-range last season for Scotty. 
Uh, you know, he's the most important swing player for this roster, of course. He's got the biggest upside, potential, star turn, you know, ability, all that stuff. But when it comes to a single skill on the roster, I've been thinking about Pascal Siakam's catch-and-shoot three-point shooting basically all summer long, ever since Fred VanVleet left, and it was clear that it's at least a chance that the Raptors are going to go into this season starting Scotty Barnes as their point guard. Dennis Schroeder might get the job. We'll see. I've talked at length about why I think that's maybe not the best use of either Schroeder or Scotty Barnes or any of the things the Raptors have on hand. I think, you know, having Schroeder run with second units where there's maybe a little bit more shooting involved where he can kind of cook and actually work with the ball in his hands and, and run the, the show, I think that sounds great. I think Scotty, if it's going to work with him as a point guard, which I have my doubts about, but if it's going to work, just lean all the way into it to see if it can work with him surrounded by as much shooting and other talent as possible. And I think, you know, a him, Gary, OG, Pascal, Yak starting five is kind of the way to go. But the problem is, is that if Pascal Siakam can't knock down a, a credible number of three-point shots and actually kind of make the defense worry about him as a three-point shooter... Things are going to be that much more difficult for Scotty Barnes working in a lineup in which there are two credible three-point shooters at most in terms of OG and Gary Trent Jr. It's even less if you're swapping Schroeder in for Gary Trent Jr. So the catch-and-shoot threes for Pascal, it's got to come. Like it, this, And this is not something I think is like a far-fetched fantasy either, right? Like Pascal has worked more of a mid-range game into his repertoire. He's making his, his range is kind of advancing further and further out. And he has little dalliances in the past of his career with pretty decent three-point shooting. We think back to the 2018-19 season where he was about 37%, a wonderful secondary scoring option for that Raptors team. And the corner threes for him were a big thing that year. Uh, even going into 2019-20 where he kind of became the dude in concert with Kyle Lowry, he had like a pull-up game that was kind of remarkable. He shot 34% on two and a half pull-up threes to start during that 2019-20 season where he made second team All-NBA. That was awesome. Like Pascal has three-point shooting in his past, at least to some degree, but it's just not really been something you can set your watch to. It's not been terribly reliable. And most importantly, it's not something that opposing defenses are all that worried about. And they're perfectly okay letting Pascal let it fly. It's going to be on him this year to kind of punish teams who are going to let him take those threes and force them to guard him. And that's going to create more room to operate for Scotty Barnes on down the line. It's a feedback loop. Spacing, you know, I don't think you need to like lead the NBA in three-pointers attempted or whatever. I don't think that's what we're talking about here. It's never what I've been talking about with spacing. But just in terms of how defenses approach you... Having more players on the floor who they have to worry about further away from the basket, it's just the laws of geometry, it's going to make things easier for your ball handlers, for anyone who's trying to cut, anyone who's trying to make space within the, the inside the confines of the arc. Having spacing matters. It's like, again, it's just, it's why the Warriors are so great. Steph Curry makes every single player on the floor worried about his shooting threat at all times, and that totally unspools the defense. And so... With Pascal, like, it's it's huge, right? I, I think I'm optimistic, though. I think there are a few factors at play here that lead me to think, you know what? He can do this. He can be a 37 38% three-point shooter from the corners on catch-and-shoots just around the arc. Like, I, I think that's doable for him. Let's just go back through his career. Last season, on three catch-and-shoot attempts a game, 34.1%. Not really what you want. Passable, but not what you want. 
the season prior, 21-22, shot 36.5% on 2.7 catch-and-shoots a game. Pretty decent, not bad at all. If he can do that for a full season, you're in pretty good shape. In 2021, uh, 2020-2021, the Tampa season, that I hate saying the just the, the name of that year because uh, it's impossible tongue twister, 31.3% on 3.3 catch-and-shoot attempts a game. Not amazing. It's his worst mark of his career, or at least ever since he became someone who is actually going to dabble in three-point shooting. You go back to 2019-20, his second team All-NBA season, 36.1% on 3.3 attempts. And then the year prior to that on catch and shoots, 38% in the championship season on two and a half catch and shoots a game. So there is kind of like a league average-ish shooter. If you kind of average everything out and weigh it all over the course of the last five seasons, there is a league average-ish catch and shoot, three-point shooter in Pascal Siakam. I think... The thing that's kind of dragged down his percentages at least a little bit has been his pull-ups. That's just not been a good thing for him. It's not been terribly high volume, in fairness, just like one or half an attempt a game over the last three seasons. Going back to 2019-20, he was at two and a half attempts when he shot that 34% on pull-ups. That's great, but that's the wild outlier in his career. I don't think pull-up three-point shooting is going to be his bag. And even the last couple years when Pascal's become more of a heliocentric type player... Pull-up threes have not really been part of his repertoire. He kind of probes into the you know the 18-foot range and then makes his bones there. Whether it's putting up his mid-range game or he's he's you know kind of distributing from there, getting to the rim, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's not really been a pull-up three that's been the, the behind his great success as a heliocentric player in the stretches where he's been very successful with it. And so we go back to the catch and shoots. I think you kind of carve out some of those, like just remove the pull-ups, right? I, I think having Scotty Barnes take on more of the ball handling duty will just kind of limit the opportunities for Pascal to have those pull-up attempts. And the other thing too here is the minutes, right? I can't imagine Pascal Siakam, if he's on this team, is going to be playing 38 minutes a game again. I just don't think that's the way Darko Ryakovich is going to manage things. He's talked a lot about the importance of the full 82-game grind, seemingly very opposite from Nick Nurse's we-have-to-win-every-single-game-at-all-costs philosophy from the last couple seasons. And I think that, in just on its own, could help free up the legs a little bit for Pascal to not, you know, just be so exhausted all the time. And we see it too, right? He starts games off well. Um, you know, he, 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 you know, the first quarter, it felt like he was just banging every th- single three he was getting over the course of last season. But as the game went along, he'd wear down, he'd get it tired, he'd lose the legs, and the three-point shot would fall off a cliff in the fourth quarter. Hopefully a little bit more of a managed minutes approach to him can help him kind of tap into that three-point shooting. And if he can do it, if like by game 20, game 30, other teams are starting to realize, oh damn, Pascal, someone we got to worry about as a three-point shooter in the corner, that's going to open stuff up for Pascal or for Scotty. It's also going to open up more opportunities for Pascal to do the thing that he did so bloody well back in 2019-20 or 18-19, that is, where he was just this brilliant secondary scorer who was making things happen after the defense shifted entirely to bail, you know, stop Kawhi Leonard or Kyle Lowry. It would swing over to Pascal, and he'd have all the room to work with in the world, extra driving lanes. The spin move was kind of at its peak at that point. You can turn 
a credible three-point shot into more aggressive closeouts into an easier first step to get around your man and i think it's all kind of a feedback loop here it's going to take some time you're not going to walk in from day one and have teams respecting pascal as a three-point shooter it's going to have to you know again there's gonna have to be some sample there of him really knocking him down but i'm hopeful you know he's the kind of guy who works really hard he adds a lot to his game year over year we've seen players you know, kind of on the bigger side of things, kind of add threes later in their careers. It's not an easy thing to do. Not everybody does it. Otherwise, everyone would do it. But I think Pascal, would just like with the, the workmanship that he has and just his general skill level, the fact that he's added a mid-range game that's been pretty prominent over the last couple of seasons, why can't he take that extra, you know, one or two steps out? I think it's on the table for him. Um, and then if that happens, again, there's all sorts of different possibilities, right? It gets harder to defend a Pascal Scotty pick and roll because, hey, he can pop out now and become a credible three-point threat at the top of the arc. You have all this stuff that can become possibilities if Pascal is knocking down those threes. And so while Pascal is amazing as is and doesn't need to add a three-point shot to become great himself, him adding a three-point shot and a reliable, dependable, you know, hearkening back to the 2018 through 2020 run of his career if he does that, that is going to change things big time for the Raptors and just the shape of their most important lineups, and it's going to make things easier for their most important player, who is, of course, Scotty Barnes. We'll come back on the other side, put a pin in the Pascal thing for now, and get to OG Ananobi, who has a swing skill that is obvious, and I kind of don't even think I want to see him tap into it. I'll explain coming up in just one second. Before we do that, however, got to tell you about our good pals over at Bird Dogs who are making the best shorts in the whole game. I I cannot believe how comfortable these shorts are. Sometimes, you know, I, you know, like you hear, oh, they're super comfortable. They're the most comfortable shorts ever. And you're like, there's no way. They're just shorts. They can't possibly have changed the game that much. Wrong. Bird Dogs have absolutely changed the game with when it comes to comfort in shorts. And it's not just shorts. They have jogger pants as well. They are one of the most comfortable pieces of clothing I own. They're awesome. And they, of course, have revolutionized underwear. They have a built-in comfort lining, so you don't have to wear underwear with them. That's fantastic. What a wonderful thing. You got fewer layers on. You got less stuff on bunching up. You just get to go out, wear your comfortable shorts, and look good while you're doing it. My dad has a pair. They're his favorite shorts. My wife uses the Bird Dogs hat that we got uh, when she goes paddleboarding and stuff. It's a great athletic hat. They got great stuff. Go and check out Bird Dogs right now by going to birddogs.com slash locked NBA or into the promo code locked on NBA at checkout for a free Bird Dogs water bottle with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on NBA for a free water bottle at checkout. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off. We promise you. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you have missed the return to daily this week, we've got episodes for all the weekdays prior to this one as we close out your week here on a Friday. Uh, if you want to go hear the swing skills talk about Scotty and Precious and Gary, uh, that's yesterday's show. Go check it out. It was a good one. So let's carry on here with the swing skills talk and a look at OG Ananobi. And for me, the swing skill for OG is very clearly his handle. It's just it, right? He wants to reportedly have more of an offensive role. He wants to have, you know, the, I would assume something like what Jeremy Grant got in Detroit, where it's just like a little bit more of offensive responsibility. See what you can do. The handle is going to be the limiting factor for OG. I did maybe a little bit of like a, a an exercise in not taking care of myself on Friday morning, and I went back and I watched not all, but a good number of OG Ananobi's turnovers from the 
20, or sorry, 2022-23 season. There's just this past year. It was just not a great experience watching OG Hananobi take two dribbles, kind of lose the plot, and turn it over time after time. But this was a recurring thing last year, and it's just all to do with the handle. It's not super tight. He can kind of get it ahead of his skis a little bit, and you know his momentum carries him beyond those two dribbles. He'll stop, he'll pivot, he'll be off balance. Like There's all these things that go wrong when OG decides to put it on the deck. And for me, it's really tough because the handle's the swing skill. I don't even think I want OG to tap into that swing skill, frankly. I, I don't think the upside is really there. And OG, the player who we saw down the stretch of last season, for example, where he was working off the ball, benefiting from the passing of Jakob Pertl and Pascal and, and Scotty Barnes and knocking in threes and just playing as this wonderfully efficient play finisher, that's the optimized version of OG. I've been saying this for like three seasons as there have been calls to have him level up, calls to have him go become Kawhi 2.0. There's just no basis of evidence to suggest that's coming, and that's perfectly fine. OG Ananobi, as the player he is right now, a 17 to 19 point a game guy who's going to play all-world defense, who's going to hit 38, 39% of his threes, who's going to finish efficiently around the rim, that is a dude you want on your team. That's a dude you want to be paying 30, 35 million dollars a year. That is an incredibly valuable basketball player. You know, the question with OG and like his future with the team has never been to do with his ability as a player. I don't think his future with the team is tied to him becoming this on-ball wizard of creation or anything like that. It's mostly just the weirdness of the roster and the contract situations that are lining up and the risk of him walking for nothing that makes the idea of moving on from him maybe make some sense. But as a player, Every single team in the NBA should want this dude and should want to pay this dude handsomely because he's awesome. And I fear that if he were to level up the overall usage and creation burden, that the good parts of OG's game will just become dampened. The defense will still be there, obviously, um, you know, barring using too much energy to go and create on offense. But I, I just feel like you're diverting what he does really well away and asking him to kind of do a thing that he doesn't do well when you're asking him to make stuff happen with the ball in his hands. And maybe he just needs to kind of learn that on his own, right? Like maybe he wants the opportunity to prove that he can be someone who is creating for a team as a secondary guy or even a primary, whatever. But all of the numbers, all of the game tape, everything that's happened over the last couple seasons suggests that's just not who OG is. And once again, that is completely fine. Last season, he had a career-worst 13.1 turnover percentage on an 18% usage rate. Um, like, he just, that's not great. Like, he turns it over a lot. A couple numbers I want to throw out that are just, like, pretty staggering and suggest that it may, might just not be there for him as a creator. I went through yesterday, or today, prepping for this podcast, on the drives stats from last season on NBA.com. Of the 100 players and the top 100 players in total drives last season, of which OG was one of them at about six and a half drives a game, there is one player in that 100 player sample with a turnover percentage north of 10% on drives. Guess who that player is? It's OG Ananobi, who turned it over 10.2% of the time, the only player with a 10% or higher turnover rate of the top 100 drivers by volume in the NBA last season. That's not good. Of that same 100-player group, 
he had the third worst shooting percentage on his drives behind only Killian Hayes and LaMelo Ball, who had a weird ball-hoggy injury-riddled season. Um, and Killian Hayes, of course, is Killian Hayes. 41.3% on his drives uh, as, far, as far as a total field goal percentage for OG. That's not good. Again, that speaks to him kind of losing the plot, not having great ideas once he gets to that sort of six to eight foot range. We know he can finish plays as a cutter, as a, as a dunker, as a lob threat, all this stuff. But when he has the ball in his hands, it's just not been there for him. And those two numbers really stood out to me. You know, He's got a career, or like his career assist to turnover ratio is about even. Last season, it was a two to two assist to turnover ratio. Again, a lot of those turnovers committed after two dribbles, not having an idea of where to go, getting off balance, a lot of thrown away passes as well, with like panicked kickouts and a surprising number of turnovers on passes to guys who were like one quick pass away. He wasn't making these turnovers of commission where he's trying to throw gorgeous skip passes across the court to shooters in the corner. Like, that's not what he was doing. There's a lot of turnovers of just, he gets stuck, there's one outlet on the wing, that's one pass away, and he's just throwing it away in, in sort of a panicked fashion. It's a pretty regular occurrence. He also has a lot of offensive fouls he picks up when he drives. He's just not someone who is making things happen with that handle. And, uh, you know, again, maybe there's room for him to go and try some more and learn and, and develop and all this stuff. I just... There are no indicators in his past to suggest that there is a credible creation future in his future, which once again is completely fine and actually probably better for the health of a basketball team that he is just kind of doing his super duper uber role player role where he's incredible at all the in-between stuff. He's a great play finisher. He's a great connector. You know, all this stuff like he's amazing at it. He just doesn't have the creation chops, and that's okay. Not everybody can do it. Again, if everybody could do it, everybody would do it. And so, for me, it's a swing skill for sure, OG's handle. But it's not a swing skill, I think, is one that's terribly important to, like, the team's success this season. It's maybe important to OG and his general vibes and, you know, desire to be on the team to get a chance to work on that handle, that swing skill of his. But for me... If in the best interest of the Raptors, him being an 18.5% usage guy who's just deathly efficient, averaging 17 to 19 points, just by being his efficient self, I think that's where you want OG to be. That is the optimized version of the player, and I've been saying this for years. It's it's fine that he doesn't have a handle or creation chops. You know, there, there's just not everybody has it, and that's fine. We'll come back on the other side, get into the final of the core members of the team we're going to talk about, which is Jakob Pertle, who is a very established player. Might not be one that you look at as saying, ooh, there's some big swing skills there, but the free throws, we could talk about the free throws. We'll get to that momentarily. Before we do that, however, got to tell you, better friends over at DoorDash, missing the syrup for your pancakes or just ran out of your favorite coffee creamer. With DoorDash grocery delivery, you can get what you want right when you need it. There's nothing worse than going to the store, realizing, I forgot that one thing I need for dinner. And it's just the, the dish is ruined without this one ingredient. Sometimes I forget like the main part of the dish because I'm dumb. Uh, but DoorDash and grocery delivery is there to help you when that happens. You've trusted DoorDash to deliver your restaurant favorites. And now you can get grocery delivery that actually delivers too. With easy substitutions right in the app and best-in-class customer support, DoorDash delivers groceries exactly how you want it. Get 50% off your first DoorDash order up to a $25, $20 value. That is when you use the code locked in NBA at checkout. Limited time offer. Terms 
apply. That's 50% off, up to 20 bucks, no minimum subtotal, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code LOCKEDONNBA. Don't forget, that's the code LOCKEDONNBA for 50% off your first order with DoorDash. All right. Rounding it out here with our look at the swing skills of the core members of your Toronto Raptors. And we'll close it off today looking at Jakob Pertl, who, like I said before the break, like he doesn't have a lot of like notable obvious skills that he needs to work on, right? Like, yeah, it'd be great if he could go shoot threes. I don't consider that a swing skill because I don't think uh, there's any hinge upon which that can swing. It's just it's not happening for him. And that's okay. Uh, it'd be great if he was a, a spacing three. A whole lot of the Raptors' problems would be much less problematic if Jakob Pertl could bomb threes, hit one or two a game, stand in the corner and be a credible spacing threat. It's just not the reality, and so I'm not even going to entertain that. He uh, has not... Has he hit a three in his career? Let me just pull up his total career three-point shooting numbers. Uh, he has hit two career threes uh, on four attempts. So that's, again, not really... What you're looking for, I think with Yak, you know, a lot of the stuff is very cemented, right? We know he's an excellent rim protector. We know he's someone who can make plays on the short roll or from the elbows as a passer. We know he's someone who's going to be a deathly efficient scorer inside five feet. Got that push shot. He can put it up. He can get offensive rebounds, putbacks, all this stuff. He's got plenty of dexterity around the rim. He's always among the league leaders in field goal percentage. That's great. You know, I, I don't even think like a mid-range jumper is something I'm looking at as like a swing skill because, again, he's just like never tapped into that or shown any sort of interest or ability to do that in his career, which, again, is completely fine. For me, it's just the free throws, right? Like, what was the the kind of weird recurring thing that happened down the stretch of the season last year is the Raptors got Jakob Pertl. They pasted teams when Jakob Pertl was on the floor. Their defense was awesome. Their offense, I think, was surprisingly really good despite the spacing issues. Uh, they were a really good lineup, but you got down to the sort of nuts and bolts of a game late late on, and you know teams start to sag off of dudes because of uh, the lack of shooting around. The spacing gets a little bit more cramped, uh, and that was sort of one drawback of having Yak out there. It was still better to have Yak out there than not. But then the free throws come in, and it kind of throws this uncomfortable wrench into the whole conversation. Look, last year was his best year shooting free throws uh, since his second season in Toronto, where he shot 59.4% on 1.2 attempts a game. Last year, over the course of the full season, he shot 59.2. It was a north of 60 with the Spurs, down to 57 with the Raptors. And look, when you're at 57 to 65-ish percent, like, that's passable. Like, that's not going to be mathematically viable for a team to just go and outright hack you necessarily, but you're still giving up points. You're still kind of always at the mercy of a team deciding, you know what, we're going to hack this guy right now. We're going to bust up a promising possession and throw Yak a at the line. Like, that's not a thing you want, right? When we saw free throws were the thing that did them in in the play-in game against the Bulls. Yes, uh, D.R. DeRozan was screaming very loudly and affecting that, but, you know, free throws were not exactly a strength of this team for much of last season either. And Yak is a big part of that, right? Like, it's a thing that you have to bake in when you add Yak to the team. It was one of the arguments against bringing him in originally. Just can you close games consistently? Can you pay $20 million and a lot 32 minutes at night to a guy who you might not be able to close games with? And we saw it happen a ton last year down the stretch. They would go with that small ball lineup with Gary Trent Jr. in there just to infuse a little more offense and space, but also to counteract the hacking situation. And so can Yak... Get up to 63, 64, 65%. Can he flirt with that? 
who knows? Maybe that's a lot to ask. It was a nice improvement for him last year, 59% after hovering around or below 50% for the previous three seasons in San Antonio. Like, or four seasons, even 53% was his high watermark with the Spurs um, until the 2022-23 season. You know, can he hit 65%? And if he does, does he become way more viable as like a game closer for the Raptors? Can they, you know, justify having him on the floor? I think that certainly happens. Again, there's not like a very obvious swing skill here. Yak is a pretty established player. I think we kind of know what he's good and what he's good and what he's good at and what he's not good at. But if the free throws can tick up to like a little bit more of a respectable clip where it's like totally unfeasible for the team to go and start hacking him then I think, you know, your closing game formula gets a lot easier if you're the Raptors, if you're Darko Ryakovich, as opposed to having to worry. You know, you go back and you look at the end of the uh, play-in game against the Bulls. I was just kind of looking at, like, the fourth-quarter play tracker and, like, the number of times Yak was swapped out for Gary in offensive-defensive substitutions. Like, it was all through the end of that game, um, and Gary was awful in that game. Like, he didn't really want to have Gary out there, but... Um, the offense thing mattered. And look, you know, the free throws are not everything. Jakob Pertl is going to be a weird fit, kind of a sore thumb fit with this front court until Pascal Siakam starts banging threes or Scotty Barnes, you know, develops mid-range or whatever. Like that, that front court, though, that trio of players is going to come with spacing issues basically as a rule until one of these guys completely changes their game or, or adds a three-point shot of, of note. And Yak is the least likely of those guys to change and add that to his game. And so he's always going to be a bit of a strange fit. But I think the the free throws, if he can be a little bit more respectable, 65%, which it's not crazy. We've seen guys make that jump in the past. We've seen guys improve their free throw stroke from being awful, total non-free throw guys to passable. Um, I, I think that is one of the most important things we could see for Yak Pertle this season. Otherwise, let Yak be Yak. Let him set screens. Let him, uh, you know, work on the roll. Let him score around the bucket. Let him rim protect his ass off, and he's going to be great for you. But the free throws, I think, are, are kind of the one thing when I look at his sort of total package that feels reasonable to bake in some kind of notable improvement. And I think that could really change the game for the Raptors when it comes to late game situations, which would be very, very nice. We'll leave it there. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, as always, really appreciate you supporting the show. Thanks for being back with us daily this week. We'll be back again, of course, with five shows next week. Uh, Vivek Jacob will be along, of course. Then Katie Heindel will be back finally. She's been on vacation, or not on vacation. She's been writing her book, and so she's been very busy and buried in that. But we'll get Katie back on soon. Jamar Hines will be on next week. Uh, we're also going to play a little parlor game I've come up with uh, that I'm not going to spoil just yet, but it's going to be fun. I'm sure there'll be some what's more likelys and whatnot sprinkled into the upcoming show stretch of podcasts as well and we will have to finish off these swing skills episodes with a look at some of the other dudes in the roster Dennis Schroeder Chris Boucher Jalen McDaniels perhaps some of the guys up and down the roster who still have swing skills that could potentially impact the Raptors one way or another this coming season that's all coming up next week as uh, we get closer and closer to media day and all that good stuff Uh, in the meantime please support the show by uh, telling a friend and uh, you know going and subscribing, getting the notifications when the shows go live so you never miss an episode. Join our Discord server. Link is in the description. We'd love to see you in there uh, as uh, we got a nice little family of, of freaks building around the show. And uh, we love the freaks. They are all the, the freaks are my favorite freaks in the whole wide world. Um, yeah, that's it. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you again Monday. Thanks for hanging. Bye-bye. <laughs>